Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. Hey, we start today, though, with the search for high-risk sex offender Randall Hopley. He is now wanted on a Canada-wide warrant after he walked away from his Vancouver halfway house on Saturday, Hopley was scheduled to go on trial today on two counts of breaching a supervision order. He just served six years in jail for abducting a three-year-old boy in Sparwood, B.C. in 2011. Many listeners will recall that harrowing story. Vancouver police said he is a high risk for violent and sexual reoffending. He has committed sexual offenses against children and posed a significant, a risk of significant harm to the safety of young boys. He is still missing. Premier David Eby on the weekend speaking out on this case. Let's listen. I'm certainly, uh, as, as I imagine all British Columbians are, deeply disturbed to hear about the uh, release of a, a, a sex offender who targets children, uh, that, that he was uh, insufficiently supervised and able to walk away from a halfway house. Uh, I, I don't understand uh, why uh, there weren't sufficient safeguards put in place by the parole board on this individual to prevent this from happening. This is becoming very familiar story. Let's discuss now with my guest, Brad West, the mayor of Port Coquitlam. I'm very pleased to welcome him. Mayor West, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me, Mike. Okay, Brad, this is, I'm getting deja vu talking to you on this because it wasn't that long ago we were talking about the, the accused guy in the Chinatown stabbings and how he was let out of a psychiatric hospital. Your thoughts on this one? Well, the premier says that he's disturbed like all British Columbians. What we should be is outraged. Why the hell is someone with this sort of record even in a halfway house to begin with? This individual should be in prison. Three sex offenses against children. You know, a, a six-year sentence for abducting a three-year-old boy. It, it, it is, is such a farce. Uh, it is such a farce, Mike. Uh, and you're right. You know, if it were an aberration or a one-off, maybe we could say, oh, someone made a mistake. Something went wrong there. No. Yeah. This is the way the system has been set up. This is the system working correctly the way that it has been set up. We have been going in this yeah. trajectory for many years now where everything is in the favor of the offender not the victim, whether it's Bill C-75, which codified uh, in bail uh, the principle of release over detainment, whether it's some of the decisions that have come down from the Supreme Court, like the Zora decision. This is the trajectory of our system. And that's why I have said to you, and I still believe this, th there's no tinkering that can happen. I, you know, I agree with the premier. The fact that the Senate hasn't done anything with bail reform yeah. uh, just goes to show <laughs> what why people think about the Senate, what they do. But forget that. That's tinkering. This whole system needs to be blown up and rebuilt from scratch well, because it is this type of decision that happens over and over and over again. And it's like, when is it going to stop? 
Especially when you consider we heard the premier in that clip there talk about his frustration over over bail reform. I mean, this is not a case around around bail. This is a guy no. who was out on on parole. He was he, under he, a someone su- who finished. Go ahead. He served his sentence. Yeah, I mean, right. and, and and exactly like six years. I mean, you can abduct abduct a three year old child, hold them for days on end. And your sentence is six years? Yeah. What an absolute joke. Yeah, no the, wonder the, we're getting, no wonder more things like this continue to happen. What sort of message does that send to people? Well, also, we got to wonder about the effectiveness of these parole orders. I mean, this is a guy who was under a 10-year supervision order, but he's able to walk away from a halfway house on, on Saturday, two days before he goes on trial. Where's What kind of supervision order is that? Like, where is it? It doesn't sound like there was any supervision. It's like so many things. There's no follow-up. There's no follow-through. Um, you know, and the people who, you know, have the responsibility to do some of this, you know, they lack resources, you know, the the same story we hear over and over again but to to me the, the big issue here is that you know and many people have said stop calling it a justice system because it's not and and i've i've taken that to heart i agree with that because when you look at something like this how how can you find justice in any of this um but mike this is the system operating the way it's been set up whether yeah. it was that decision in china uh, in chinatown the chinatown stabbing where that individual had repeatedly stabbed people every time he had been released, and yet he got released again. This individual uh, has committed some most heinous crimes against the most vulnerable people. I got to keep myself in check here because, as you know, I'm the dad of a a two-year-old and a six-year-old boy. And the idea that an individual can uh, commit on three separate occasions sex offenses against young children um, and be in a halfway house yeah. uh, and, and not even be imprisoned uh, is it, just so mind-blowing. And it tells you everything that is wrong with the legal system yeah. that we have in our country. I share your frustration on it. Speaking to Port Coquitlam, Mayor Brad West. Mayor West, let me ask you about another big story looming today, and that is the carbon tax. Now, this all started with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announcing removal of the federal carbon tax on home heating oil. Have a listen to this. Now, Trudeau was asked, well, hang on a second here. What about natural gas? I mean, that's what people use to heat their homes in in Western Canada and British Columbia, Alberta. Will you give a tax break on, on natural gas, too? Listen to what he says here. There will absolutely not be any other carve-outs or suspensions of the price on pollution. Absolutely not. He was absolutely firm there. No more tax breaks for you. Brad West, what do you think of this? Uh, It's just such naked politics. It's kind of stunning that they have been so uh, upfront about what they're doing. Uh, You know, trying to buy votes in Atlantic Canada and hoping that nobody else notices in the rest of the country. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And they they have, I think, made a, a huge argument against their own, uh, you know, carbon tax agenda by uh, rolling it back here. I mean, there there is no argument in the world that says, well, it's OK uh, to roll it back it, for Atlantic Canadians and what they use to heat their homes. But for British Columbians and everyone else, uh, you know, too bad, so sad. 
Um, where do you where I, do you stand where do you stand in the provincial carbon tax? Because there are calls now to roll back the, the provincial carbon tax on, on natural gas, for example, for home heating. I don't think the carbon tax is effective. I mean, I I haven't changed my position on this. I know a lot of politicians have have supported it, then opposed it, or opposed it, and now supported it. But look, uh, in British Columbia, you only need to look at the evidence. Um, it has not been effective at reducing emissions. Uh, you know, what it has been effective at is taking a lot of money out of the pockets of people who don't have an alternative. Uh, I, I think it's regressive. I think it hurts people who can least afford it. You know, and if you're going to have it, you know, at least maybe get that revenue going into something that is going to give people some options or alternatives to be able to, yeah. re, you know, to reduce their dependency. Um, but the way it has been set up, I don't think is effective. I think it it hurts people. And at a time, you know, when people are already hurting, uh, you know, the, the hits just keep coming. Um, okay. So, no, Mike, I, I have not supported and I, I don't think it's the way to go. talk about crime on the rise street crime we're talking shoplifting broken windows assaults it was fascinating to see some of the largest retail giants in british columbia coming together on this so you had london drugs lululemon all these other big chains getting together last week to sound an sos save our streets they're calling on government to take action on crime shoplifting violent shoplifting got jeff bray standing by to discuss first have a listen to this report here this is global news reporter travis prasad you will hear the voice here of clint malman who is the president of london drugs have a listen from thefts to random attacks and violent shoplifters Things are getting worse in communities big and small, according to these concerned citizens. And we can't let this continue. More than 30 community groups and businesses province-wide now banding together to launch the Save Our Streets Coalition, or SOS. The escalation in crime and violence in our communities has reached epidemic proportions and it's been building for a very long time. All right, let's discuss now with my guest, Jeff Bray. Jeff is the Chief Executive Officer, Downtown Victoria Business Association. Very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Jeff, thank you for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Mike. appreciate it. Okay, I know your group is a, a part of this effort here. How did this all come together here? Because we got some pretty big companies, a lot of big organizations got involved in this. How did this all come together here? Well, I think what you uh, heard in that clip was, uh, you know, businesses large and small have been waiting for leadership at uh, senior levels of government to take bold action on what has been escalating problems around uh, addictions, mental health, rampant theft, a sense of almost lawlessness. Uh, and, you know, a lot of these players are very much in the background. You don't hear from them. You don't see them. Uh, but we're not seeing the action that needs to be taken. And whether it's uh, a London drugs or a small mom and pop business, um, people are saying we've had enough. It's at a crisis point. Businesses are deciding whether to stay open or closed. Staff are deciding whether or not they want to work in some of these businesses or not. So this group got together and said, look, we have to sound the alarm uh, that we're at the breaking point. And so that was what was launched last week. And, and you know, you rightly point out in, in, in your report that it's not just 
big urban stores. It's uh, Penticton, it's Quinell, it's Victoria, it's Nanaimo. Uh, it's in almost every community. And the public is also saying enough is enough. What we've been doing for the last 30 years on these issues is not working. We need bold action by government now. Yeah, no, I was I was impressed with this effort here because you've got the the big the big powerful retailers like Lululemon, London Drugs, Savon Foods coming out and, and saying, "Look, we need action." But as you pointed out, there are also chambers of commerce from around British Columbia. There are local community groups that are stepping up and organizing, saying, "We don't like what we're seeing." in our community. Let me play a clip here for you, Jeff. This is John Boychuk. He's the owner of Davy Tanning. This is a tanning salon on Davy Street. They've been in the Davy Village for decades, and, and he's seen it all down there. He says it is getting worse. Have a listen here, then I'll get your thoughts. We talked to clients who have been coming to our business for decades that are now saying, I'm not coming in the evenings anymore because I'm terrified to walk down Davie Street. Yeah, and some have even stated, I've had it. I have been in this neighborhood. I have patronized this neighborhood. And it's time for me to get the hell out of this neighborhood because I see it just going straight downhill. Okay, that's not what you want to hear from your customers. And I tip my hat to John. He's been a frequent guest here on the show for sticking it out there and hoping for things to improve going forward. Jeff Bray, can you tell me a little bit about what you're hearing? Are those the type of stories that you're hearing? You know, and certainly you know, in Victoria, while you know business performance is, is okay coming out of the pandemic, uh, in fact, better than, than some other places, the level of fatigue you hear in John's voice, the level of frustration, that's what I'm hearing from businesses, both storefront retails, but also, you know, accountants' offices, dentists' offices, people whose clients and whose customers are saying, I'm not coming coming downtown anymore. I'm not coming to this neighborhood anymore. I don't feel safe. And also what a lot of these businesses are saying is, look, there's obviously the economic issue of, of sales. There's also the issue of rampant theft and this idea of uh, catch and release. In fact, Victoria did a sting two weeks ago at a store in downtown Victoria, a three-day sting. They arrested 20 people. They, they were looking at one store. On day three of the sting, they arrested somebody they'd arrested from the same store on day one of the sting. And so yeah. businesses are exhausted. And so they're looking at their leases and saying, do I want to renew and do another five years of this if I don't see that there's going to be any improvement? In fact, I, I feel it's going to get worse. And my staff don't want to come and work for me anymore. So it is exhaustion. It's fatigue. And, it, and it's a nonpartisan issue, Mike. This isn't about left and right. This is about the yeah. fact that communities are, are starting to shrink and dwindle because people don't want to go into neighborhoods anymore. Yeah, for sure. I'm speaking to Jeff Bray, Downtown Victoria Business Association. I listened very carefully to the comments at, at, from people at the launch of this SOS Save Our Streets effort. And I believe it was the president of, of London Drugs. We heard from him, Clint Malman, there a short time ago. Did, was he the guy who was talking about the stab-proof vests? That, yes. that staff are actually wearing a vet, vet, vest that are stab-proof at, at work? Yeah. Uh, you know, they've got some locations uh, where the street disorder outside is significant. And so, again, that's, that's part of what this is all about. It's about employee safety, about customer safety. Uh, it's, you know, Mike, it's a small number of people creating most of these issues. And they are people that are struggling with either severe mental health issues and or severe um, addictions issues. 
Uh, And then the the repeat offenders that, quite frankly, some bold action by the provincial government to deal with this small cohort of individuals would make a huge positive impact. But quite frankly, government has to make some bold decisions. There's no more task forces. There's no more studies. You know, and the premier has talked in the past about uh, things like, um, you know, holding people in remand pending trial if they had 40 convictions for shoplifting. Well, we want to see Crown Council push hard for those things. We know that there are some people for who their addictions and mental health challenges are so severe, community-based services aren't sufficient. We need to look at things like involuntary care. We need government to be brave enough to actually meet where most of the public is already at, which is we're not serving these individuals very well, and in the meantime, our communities are suffering horribly. Okay, well, it's interesting to hear you talk about the, the provincial angle on this because because we've been talking this morning about the police searching for this high-risk sex offender, Randall Hopley, who walked away from a Vancouver ha- halfway house on Saturday. And police are there's a Canada-wide search warrant for him. And Premier David Eby had been saying that, well, he's deeply disturbed by this and he wants something done about it. But he points the finger at the feds. He says, look, this is down to the federal federal jurisdiction we need tougher bail reform we need we need tougher parole reform are you're saying though that there's more that the province can do correct well in fact mike i'm looking at parliament hill right now i'm in ottawa and we're talking to federal mps around some of these issues including bail reform uh bill c75 did greatly impact the the, uh, direction that courts have taken with respect to holding people in remand But we also say that uh, while that is a federal piece of legislation, uh, the province actually runs Crown prosecution. And we're saying that that Crown can be much more forceful in demanding remand. Uh, That's a policy change. Courts will make whatever decision courts make. And I know that the Premier has uh, set up these nine regional hubs to deal with repeat offenders. Um, But what you're hearing from the SOS coalition is we don't have any more time. Um, You know, when employees are wearing flak jackets, um, it's, it's past the point of, you know, uh, studies. And so we need immediate action. We need the federal government to step up. We need the provincial government to step up. Because um, right now this all falls to municipalities. And, and you know, yeah. in Victoria, we have a, a council that's working very hard on making investments in downtown. But, you know, municipalities are the most limited level of government. And yet these issues fall to that local level. So we need all levels of government to step up. But really the yeah. province holds the majority of the policy arms with respect to mental health and addictions and and Crown Council. And we want to see that bold action. And we'll stand with government um, when they take those bold actions. And I think that most of the public is ready for it and waiting for it. They realize it has to happen. Absolutely. Let me play another clip for for you, Jeff. Get your thoughts. This is Sunan Spriggs, the owner of City Lux, which is a downtown Vancouver boutique. They've been broken into over and over again. The windows smashed over and over again. Let's listen. Well, we're lucky because we have invested in windows that are very difficult to break. Um, again, these windows are very expensive. So, you know, and now we're going to have to look at other measures to put in place, other potentially a gate or some kind of additional security, but it's going to come at the cost of us. Our landlord's not going to cover it. So now we're having to spend, you know, up to tens of thousands of dollars putting in additional security just to protect ourselves. And this is, it's just not fair. Jeff Bray, we just have one minute left here. The province did recently unveil a, a vandalism fund up to $2,000 for small business to defray the cost of vandalism. Is that enough? we got like 30 seconds here. 
you know, BIABC you know, advocated strongly for that. It is a great step, uh, and we applaud the government for it. But it is, again, a Band-Aid to the real solution. And at the end of the day, with cost of living being what they are, you and I, every time we go into a store, we're paying for those security measures. We're paying for all those lost assets. We're paying for the increased insurance costs. So it impacts every British Columbian every time we walk into a grocery store or a drugstore or a hair salon. So this really okay. is affecting everybody. Appreciate your time today. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Mike, as always. All right, here we go now with landlords versus tenants. Now, we talk a lot about this on the show. British Columbia has some of the strongest protections for renters and tenants in the country, but landlords are fighting back. They say that this has gone too far. They have a new petition calling for an overhaul of tenancy laws in British Columbia. Uh, the petition was started by land, the Landlord Rights Association of BC. They say that the system has been unfairly tilted in favor of tenants, making it difficult for landlords to evict a problem tenant. I've got Al Kemp standing by to discuss. Al is an advocate for landlords. Have a listen to this landlord now, speaking to Global News. This is Shashi Maharaj, and she says that she went through hell trying to evict a tenant from her townhouse in Mission. She said the damage and the legal cost in trying to remove this tenant over a period of many, many months cost her $30,000. Have a listen. I think the laws were written to protect against a bad landlord, but there's no safety to protect against a bad tenant. Okay, well, that's her side of it. Now listen to Robert Patterson here. Robert has been a frequent guest on the show here in the past. He's a lawyer advocating for tenants' rights. And he's got his own message for the government. Do do not dare tilt the playing field in favor of the landlords. Have a listen to his take. It has never been easier to evict a tenant and never have this many tenants been evicted. Uh, we, we're leading the country in this. The last thing we need to do is make it easier and faster to evict tenants when they're already losing their homes at a rate double the national average. All right, let's discuss it now with my guest, Al Kemp. Al is an advocate for landlords. He helps landlords through his company, helpforlandlords.com, former CEO, Rental Owners and Managers Society of BC. Very pleased to welcome him. Al, thank you very much for coming on today. Good morning, Mike. Small adjustment, please. Um, my email address is info at helpforlandlords.ca, not com. Dot, dot CA, that's my mistake, Al. Thank you. Helpforlandlords.ca is his website. Okay, Al, let's talk a little bit about this now. I mean, you've been in this game a a long time. Do you feel that the the playing field here has been tilted in the tenants' favor? Is it unfair to landlords? If it was a simple answer, Mike, since this particular government came to power in 2017, almost every change they have made has benefited landlords, uh, sorry, has benefited tenants and either taken rights away from landlords um, or frankly um, punished them for providing rental homes to a third of British Columbians. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. For So for example, how difficult is it 
if you have a problem tenant, let's say a tenant who's not paying the rent or is damaging the property, how difficult is it to evict a tenant in British Columbia? Uh, um, it's not overly difficult. If we compare ourselves to Ontario, uh, Ontario would probably be 10 times more difficult. You can spend as much as two years trying to get rid of a tenant uh, that doesn't deserve to live in your property anymore. So in BC, if a tenant decides not to pay the rent, they can receive a 10-day notice. So they that ends their tenancy in 10 days. They need to pay the rent within five days or dispute the notice within five days. So the tenants have an immediate right to dispute the notice. And they always have a right to dispute the notice, no matter what the reason is for ending a tenancy. Um, however, because of the um, delays in the residential tenancy branch that are being addressed, um, tenants, some tenants, um, and, and I really want to stress some tenants, we're talking about yeah. small percentages of landlords and small percentages of tenants when we talk about problems, but some of them realize they can live rent-free for three, four, five months until the residential tenancy branch gets around to holding a hearing, what they're supposed to leave within 10 days. Um, so that's the ending of a tenancy for unpaid rent. Um, the landlord that uh, you had the tape on, probably uh, she went through a long period, uh, but I would guess perhaps she didn't know the, uh, the rights she had under the Act to issue that notice. Let's talk about some of the, res- the caps in the maximum rent increases that have been allowed in British Columbia, because this has been happening now for several years, started during the COVID-19 pandemic, and the government brought in some pretty tough caps on the maximum rent hikes in British Columbia. This year, it is 2%. 2% is the maximum rent hike this year for an existing tenant, little higher next year. Al, what kind of impact have these rent caps had on landlords? Well, this is... One of my hot buttons, if you will. There's so many people um, on the on the tenants advocacy side, and I'm not I'm not criticizing individuals, yeah. but they they for example they want vacancy control, which means you can't raise the rents between tenancies. Right. Landlords are companies or people. Um, they have families. They have to buy food. They like to plan for their pension. They need to deliver a, a return, reasonable return to their investors. Um, So I'm going to back up uh, for just a moment and then come into today. When the current Residential Tenancy Act was brought in in 2004, rent controls were introduced for the first time. Uh, Prior to that, arbitrators made arbitrary decisions, uh, and it was not a good system. So the formula that was brought in by the Liberal government at that time was annual rent increases only once every 12 months, uh, and there was a 2% base, which was intended to go towards minor maintenance, uh, plus the annual CPI um, inflation index. So that's what stayed in place for a long time. Rent increases range from about 4%. I think the highest was about 8%. Um, when the NDP came in in 2017, the first thing they did in 2018 was take away the 2%. So now we only had CPI which frankly is irrelevant because it measures the cost of living for a family, not the cost of operating a rental building, but that's a whole other topic. In uh, 2022, the government decided to scrap the inflation uh, index and simply made a political decision. 
uh, of 2% 2 for 2023, it's 3.5% for 2024. Since 2018 to 2023, so the average over five years, the average allowed increase has been 2%. Yeah. Now show me an inflation indicator of 2% for the last five years, but landlords have to pay the additional cost of property taxes, insurance, um, tradesmen, wages, just like every other business. Yeah, sure. I mean, if you take a look at the input costs for landlords, whether it's mortgage rates, interest rates, repairs, insurance, property taxes, none of that has had a cap put on it. So the input costs go up, but exactly. the but the the rental the rent has been has been capped. Now, if you listen closely to David Eby, though, the premier out, he will say, no, 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 we're we're not we're not being biased or in favor of tenants we're thinking about the landlords too because we know they've got a good point that they make so let me play a clip here for you from the premier so this is david eby now he's announced next year maximum rent increase next year will be 3.5 percent as you mentioned this year it's two percent so it's an increase next year there will be a higher allowable rent increase listen to david eby here saying that this is going to help landlords let's listen we're balancing both the realities faced by renters of, uh, of increasing costs on many fronts, as well as the realities faced by landlords of many uh, increasing costs and their perhaps decision not to continue renting uh, if they don't uh, see some recognition of the fact that they're seeing increased costs as well. Yeah, so he says he's thinking about the landlords. He doesn't want to see landlords get out of this business and stop renting their place out. So that's why they've increased the maximum allowable rent next year to 3.5%. Al, what do you think of that? Like, is that is that adequate? That is increased is meaningless. Um, the inflation rate. So the formula is based on the average annual inflation increase, monthly inflation increase from August to July each year. At the thir July 31st this year, the inflation rate was 5.6%. And remember, this is the rate for a family. Uh, buying food and clothes and groceries and entertainment and so on and so forth. It really is quite irrelevant to the cost of running a building. And we've made that point for the last 20 years. Um, so, you know, marketing this as, as EB is so good at doing uh, as a phenomenal increase of one and a half percent. I don't know why he didn't say it's almost two percent, two percent increase or 100 percent increase. Um, yeah. it, that's totally irrelevant. Inflation was 5.6%. The increase is 3.5%. The increase over the last five years, as I said, has been an average of 2% per year. Yeah. And how much, is, how, much has inflation, how much has inflation gone up over that period? Well, that's the whole point. Um, yeah. You know, 5%, just 5.6% just this year. It was about, yeah. um, if I recall, around 8% last year. Right. Um, the the since the NDP came in, the uh, the rent increase each year has been almost irrelevant to the cost of doing business. All right, my guest is Al Kemp, HelpForLandlords.ca. Lots of phone calls. Shashi in Burnaby. Hi, Shashi. Hi. Uh, Shashi, Hi, I, I just happened I, to get you, message. You, <laughs> Sorry to step sorry to step on you there. I know you are you are the, the Shashi who was featured in the global news story that we just played there, right? So tell tell me what's going on with your place there. You had it sounds like you had a hell of a time with a bad tenant. 
Yeah, so actually what happened was my original tenant subleased the property uh, to this other tenant and turned out that he had a 20-year criminal record. And the first tenant didn't have any idea about this, but he used a false identity. And um, yeah, so anyways, by the time I started getting the rent payments late and so forth, he was already fully in there, living in there. I had been getting complaints from the Strata, um, neighbor complaints, and this is a brand new family complex. Um, so yeah, it was it was very difficult. I did issue the 10-day notice, the 30-day notice. He did not leave, and he disputed the notice, basically. And you can dispute a notice with RTB without actually any proof that you've paid the rent. So just the fact that he they disputed it was enough to postpone that entire 10 day notice. How so long did it, part. how long did it, Shashi, how long did it take you to get rid of this tenant? Uh, it took, it actually only took me two and a half months with the bailiff and with an expedited hearing. But the part that cost was all the damages. So yeah. once, once these bad tenants are evicted, they really don't care. I mean, he, he was coming, it was a choice between a jail cell and a brand new townhome. So he was living in the brand new townhome like he was living in a jail cell. So oh, it's she's... like cigarette burns and the toilet seats and carpets and yeah. Shashi, thank you for calling in. Al, what do you think of that? Like, if you if you have a tenant who sublets the place to another tenant, a different tenant, I mean, isn't that like a, I mean, you can't do that, right? So there's a couple of things here, Mike. And let, let's forget about Sashi. This is a, a message for all uh, small landlords. Yeah. Tenant selection is the most important part of your business. And if you do a good job in investigating tenancy applicants, credit checks and so forth, uh, there's much more to it than that. You're not going to get the bad tenants, or at least you're going to reduce the probability by about 95%. Uh, the Residential Tenancy Act, coming back to the Saucy situation, says uh, a tenant cannot sublet without the landlord's prior written consent. Right. So Saucy is doing regular inspections of her property, which are allowed under the Act once every month, and frankly, that's too much for 99% of tenancies. But the act allows a landlord to do an inspection once a month. So she would have discovered damage or and or uh, somebody living there that was not the tenant. And she could have ended the tenancy right at that point. Um, Mm. So the message here is that it's really, really important to know the law from the standpoint of the rights that landlords have as much as from the standpoint of the rights and responsibilities that tenants have. And, okay. and I face this every day. Ray in Maple Ridge, running out of time, sadly. Ray, you got 30 seconds here. Go ahead. I'll be quick. Uh, I'm actually lucky in that I have great tenants, and therein lies my moral dilemma. Nearing retirement age myself, my head tells me I should sell, and uh, but where would they go? Uh, on the other hand, <laughs> On the other hand, I know colleagues that have moved their money already to Alberta because of their return is uh, so much better. The input costs are killing us. The insurance went up uh, a couple of years ago, uh, two years in a row, 40% each year. Strata costs are up because the insurance costs are higher. So if you own condos, your, your, uh, your yeah. strata costs are also up. And Ray, it, thank, it thank you for the call. I hate to step on you. We're out of time. Al, we got a ton of phone calls here we can't get to. We'll just have to have you back on. Thank you for coming on today.
Okay. Uh, I'd just like to take two seconds. We shouldn't be talking landlords versus tenants. 98% of landlords and tenants have a good relationship. Good and point. that's 98% of about 700,000 tenancies in BC. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.